On this episode of Tamarindo, Brenda and I reflect on what it's like to have a normal president again. We dive into a discussion on what it's like to be not quite first-gen immigrant. And we close with an exercise to help you all set intentions for this new year. Welcome to the show. This is Tamarindo Podcast. I'm Brenda Gonzalez. And I'm Ana Sheila Victorino. This is the Latinx Podcast where we discuss politics, pop culture, and how to balance it all con calma. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, Tamarindo listeners. Saludos, amiguis. How are you? We missed you. Um, so we are just a few days into a new administration. And I think I can speak for Brenda, for many of us when I say, wow, what an experience. It feels kind of cathartic to me. And, and obviously, this is just the beginning of the work and the work is ongoing. I, I do feel like I was able to, to, after the inauguration, just breathe a little differently. Like, I felt a sense of relief and lightness. It's like, como que my, like my chest has been like tightened and like stressed like for four years. And I actually literally felt like, like I released a little bit, you know, like definitely. Uh, but yeah, Brenda, what's, what's it up to you so far? Um, the first few days of this new administration. First of all, I got my matraca ready because the Biden administration has been really busy, got straight to work on things like the environment, restoring our reputation among world leaders, getting an actual plan for vaccinations. Because uh, a side note, uh, your pro-life President Trump, he basically didn't leave a plan at all. So he wanted us all to die. So go ahead and tell me again why you're still Republican, even though you're because you're pro-life. All right. So back to Biden and what he's doing. I think there's so much to celebrate, but today let's celebrate uh, Biden's actions on immigration. So I have my matraca ready. So there's a long list of things that he's been working on. First, Biden is planning to strengthen the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, DACA, and protect from deportation 700,000 people who, like like Anna Shayla and I, came to the U.S. as children. You know that Trump's wet dream was to deport us all. And speaking of deporting us all, deport them all, uh, Biden is basically rolling back Trump's plan of the, the, the deport them all enforcement strategy, which basically put a target on all undocumented immigrants. And Biden's team also issued a memo halting most deportations for 100 days, effectively delivering on the promise of a deportation moratorium. So there are, yes, there are some exceptions, but let's just go ahead and focus on the joy. He is canceling Trump's reckless declaration of a state of emergency, which was what Trump used as his excuse to build his unnecessary and wasteful wall. So there's no more wall. Matraca to that. And Biden is ending the the racist Muslim ban. <laughs> There's so much stuff that Trump did, and he's you know Biden straight to work on rolling it all back. The Biden administration is um, he also sent the U.S. Citizenship Act to Capitol Hill, and this is according to the L.A. Times, which quote unquote offers an eight year roadmap to citizenship for the estimated 11 million immigrants in the United States without elite without legal status. If approved, it would prioritize three categories of people to immediately receive green cards, farm workers, those with temporary protective status and beneficiaries of DACA. 
So this is all good news, right? And uh, I, I pulled this excerpt from an LA Times article that we will put in our show notes, but I really liked it. It says Representative Linda Sanchez, who's a Democrat from Whittier, said Wednesday that she would lead the House efforts to introduce the Biden-Harris bill with an all-female team of mostly California legislators she called the closers. Ooh! Love that. I love that. And then Biden even wants to do away with the term alien, which I thought was really annoying, referring to myself as an alien for non-citizens. So that's that's also fantastic things. And he's going to set up a a task force for family reunification. So I think Matracas go to the Biden administration for all that work. But I, I, I will use this opportunity to also give a little basura. Got to have a little bit of basura. My basura goes to the requirement of um, basically an eight years path to citizenship. I just don't know why we are so obsessed with making people wait even longer. There's people that have been waiting for decades, multiple decades. So I really would prefer a shorter roadmap to citizenship. And and another side note, I think Republicans are really silly for um, you know stalling on immigration because sadly, I think a lot of Latinos would be happy to be Republicans. And if they if they pass immigration reform then they did it for a shorter term they could have you know maybe another republican president in their future so anyways <laughs> yes a little shade there anyways so that's what i have yeah th- thank you brenda thank you brenda so much for you know keeping us up to date on what's been happening in the first few days of the administration and, and i think like you said like we do very much it- want to focus on the joy a little bit right now. (laughs) Yes, we got to celebrate the joy. And I know it's a little bit old news, but since we have time on this opening here, uh, we could reflect a little bit on the inauguration. Did you have a chance to to watch it, Anishayla? Were there any things that like totally inspired you? Yeah, I mean, just what what I was sharing, it was just, um, you know, I felt like I could, you know, breathe again. Like we had a president, um, vice president that, that aren't vile, you know, and um, yeah, I, I did find it, you know, very uplifting. So, so yeah, like just being able to breathe again, just feeling like we have a decency return to the, to the presidency. Complete you know, sentences, the, you know? <laughs> yeah. But from the president as well as the press secretary. So, you know, just, just feeling like I'm not under attack at every moment, which is how I felt a lot of times this past four years. But in, I guess my, my basura is just I wish that the, the president would have taken a stronger stance on white supremacy and a lot of what we've been through this last year and obviously forever. Right. But um, what we've seen in Bolden this last year with the Trump administration, I, I felt like he could have taken a stronger stand there. And, you know, like very much who's very much focused on, on unity and, you, you know, uniting all citizens. And todo eso. But, um, you know, I felt like that was a little bit of bypassing of like the trauma and how white supremacy has affected us. So that would be my, my basura. Um, but overall, you know, I, I did, I did, I did let myself just feel and, and be joyful for, for that moment. Yes. Yes. I, I agree. Um, I feel like I've been clenching my jaw for since 2016 to me, the last four years felt like 2016 just never ended. It was like over and over and over again and much worse and much worse and much worse than we could have ever imagined. So it is definitely a relief to, to have um, change and that we won, <laughs> that we won. But I, I totally echo your feelings that um, I, I, I hope that that our call for unity is not at the expense of no accountability. Like there has to be accountability. Ted Cruz is a piece of crap. Like we got, we have to hold these people accountable and not forget that the insurgents plan to murder people. And it was 
people's coworkers that basically enabled it to happen. So if you think about right, like, right. if you would go Shout to your, to Scott Howley yeah. or whatever, is that what that is saying? I don't know. They're all trash, but like, like thinking about like, imagine if you were, your place of work was under siege and they were unsuccessful, but, but there was people in there that planned to murder you and your colleagues were the ones that made it possible. Like, I just don't think we should, we should forget, right. forget that. Right. Like, let's not normalize, like, you, you know, being complicit in, in homicide and like not and, and, and also not taking people's lives seriously, which is what a lot of, you know, Republicans have done with the way that they treated their COVID response, right? How they've managed that. Um, and actually, I'll do one more about I watched this on um, Sonia Renee Taylor, I believe. Um, I follow her on, on Instagram. And she was she was referencing how, you know, after literally having their lives like in danger, Congress people had to come back into the Capitol. The very same day. The very same day. Right. The very same day to certify votes. Like literally you thought that you might have died and you had to go back into the Capitol building to certify votes until 3 a.m. Yeah. Like it's horrible. So that's we got to to, you know, like not honoring like the, the fact that that was a traumatic experience. Like yeah i mean i think it's so easy to use the word politicians and lump people together but these are human beings going to work these are human beings going to work and like like the closers that we referenced earlier a lot of badass latinas that are there most of the i mean even the republicans as much as i disagree with them you have to think that they are there for a noble cause right they're there because they they believe that their vision for the world is the best vision for for the world right so they're still human beings and I and even I, I fear for all of their humanity and, and right. let's treat lives as sacred, not as profit, not as, you know, algo más. like let's be actually pro-life. No, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. OK, so uh, back to the, the subject that I had. What are we going to talk about today? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so back to, um, you know, Brenda talked a little bit about um, immigration, and that's a little bit of what's going to color our episode today. So, you know, the perspective and lens through which we experience what is happening in our world is, is you know, influenced and colored by so many things. And an important one for Brenda and I is our experiences as young immigrants to this country. We were both born in central Mexico and moved to the U.S. with our families at a very young age. And so, while we basically grew up in the U.S., our early experiences with our families and in our in our country of origin and our adopted country um, has made us feel what we've sort of termed as not quite first gen. Yes, not quite first gen. And we, as it turns out, there isn't a consensus about what first generation means. Cause I don't know about you, Anna Sheila, but I thought first generation meant like the, the first generation born in the U S that's the definition yes. that I went in with, but it turns out that there isn't really consensus. Like some people view it as, uh, as that, like the people, the first generation born in the U S some people view it as the first generation immigrating to the U S but us, uh, who both came to the country at age four at the tender age of four uh it's it's hard to place which generation we are and especially since there isn't a consensus about it so uh i think listeners many of you will will hopefully relate and connect to what we're going to talk about especially since there is no right or wrong answer about which generation you you come in so we're going to dive right into that but before we do that we are just going to take a teeny tiny itty bitty little break and uh we are so excited to dive into this conversation
get us started, we actually wanted to read some messages that we received from our listeners on their experience. All right, so first we have listener Belle M, who told us her immigrant story being the eldest and only Mexican-born child out of four in her family. She writes, I was not quite first-gen. I was always felt more pressured to prove myself and show my family that I was worthy of them having brought me to the U.S. to give me a better life. Even though I was not the oldest one of my cousins, I was the first one to graduate high school, go to college, and eventually go on to earn a law degree and become a lawyer. And I still feel like I need to do more, like get a PhD or something. And she notes, I'm also queer, which might add to trying to prove myself, trying trying to prove myself worthy part. Oh my God. (laughs) I feel like Belle literally just like took the words out of my mouth. I actually, I feel like I wrote a reflection that was similar to this the other day. So totally feel you. Belle, thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, definitely relatable. Um, okay, so we, we had a Twitter user, uh, underscore Raquel Cruz J, and she writes, I'm an immigrant by definition, but most of my peers are first generation, whereas I feel I adopt a lot of their mannerisms, ways of thinking, and culture. However, it's painful to see the dismissal of immigrants in their narrative, their thoughts and approaches to things. I'm proud to be an immigrant from Guatemala, and that's the beauty of immigration, that it's happening in real time so there isn't a definite generation much like the chicanx movement very mexican centric and dismissives i feel the first generation folks can come off that way to me i thought that was pretty powerful and 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 uh and shout out to all our listeners that are not mexican right like anisha and our mexican of course you're going to see that come through a lot in how we describe our, our experiences but i love this podcast is for everyone and i love i love hearing from folks that come from different countries and that um maybe you know one one thing that they they're challenged with is that they don't have a humongous population community like Mexicans do have in the U.S. because of just the, the you know immigration patterns and how long and how cold, literal proximity. And uh, there's another user, something similar. So this is um, used Twitter user at DexDad82, who came to the U.S. as a baby when his family was fleeing civil war in El Salvador. He writes... I feel I have missed out a lot on my birth country's culture by not going back. Plus, we lived in a predominantly Mexican neighborhood. I didn't grow up knowing many others, if any, Salvi kids. I was mocked by my Mexican kids, by the Mexican kids for using the Spanish language my parents taught me, and then eventually mocked by my Salvi family. Man, ni da aquí ni da allá. (laughs) Right. I feel for him. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for sharing your stories. We really appreciated, you know, we we love getting to know a little bit more about you and and being able to share them uh, on our pod. So so now we're going to transition and and speak a little bit about our story. So, Brenda, if you can start us off, I'd love to hear about your immigration story and some of the things that you remember about your early years in in the U.S. and, and that transition. Yes. Yes. So my immigrant story is that my my family and I immigrated to the United States because my brother was diagnosed with a terminal illness, muscular dystrophy, and my parents became aware and knew that they that my brother would probably have a much better quality of life if they could live in the United States where there's you know ramps in every corner, he could have access to a wheelchair and the best kind of medical attention that could be possible for him. So that's what drove my parents to to leave the the country that they knew. And I'll share too that my dad was a doctor in Mexico. My mom was an accountant in Mexico, but they were in Mexico during a, a, Mexico, which is completely corrupt 
and there's a, and it was an economic crisis. So we lived in a small, tiny, itty bitty little con- like condo, nothing, nothing special. So there was also, I think, an economic drive to uh, make the decision a little bit easier to to leave the country. And they, my parents came with visas, um, and they were able to basically have work permits, and, and that extended their ability to work and be in the United States. But the, for my brother and I, we didn't really have um, legal status. So something that I share a lot about on the show is that I was undocumented until I was about 22 years old. So that's my immigrant story in, in a nutshell. But I will say that one thing I noticed as a small child coming into the U.S. at age four is that um, it's the first time that I saw diversity, right? And we actually lived in Koreatown. And I noticed especially little black girls with beautiful braids and the little clippies, you know, the colorful clippies. And I was like, mom, I need to have my hair like that. And so she did it for me, but my, my hair did not have the bounce or the power or the what. It just went straight flat down. So it was not, mis trencitas no me salieron. So that's my my uh, memory. How about you, Ana Sheila? What's your immigrant story? And what do you remember growing up? Well, first, I want to thank you for, for sharing that. I actually didn't know um, that story. So, so thank you. I feel like I, I learned a little Aquí bit more. Aprendiendo. Este, yeah, actually, so my story, um, my abuelitos were already in the U.S. My abuelito used to come to the U.S. like um, summers. He was a teacher and a, an educator, and he would come in the summers and just like to work in the fields, actually, just for extra uh, money. And so my, my mom and her family had been coming um, for many summers. And so my, my, my grandparents had decided to move already. So my mom already had some family in the U.S. We were living in Mexico City. Um, and we actually had a really special opportunity. The Chicago public school system was actually hiring teachers from Mexico at New English to come on like a visiting teachers program where they would come to bilingual schools in Chicago um, and, and teach, teach kids there and primarily Spanish. And so my mom knew enough English because she actually taught English. Um, both my parents were school teachers and my mom actually taught English like as a foreign language in, in Mexico. So she interviewed and like several months later, she got a call that, that she got the job. So like, you know, obviously felt very privileged that, you know, my, my mom came in with a work permit right away that, that allowed us, you know, to stay in the country. And then after two years, my mom had her offer renewed and we just ended up staying. And so that's how we initially got to the U.S. Um, and to Chicago specifically. And and I remember at first it wasn't that big of a transition. Like my mom says, I, I used to, like I noted how I used to have more freedom in Mexico. Like I used to be able to, me dejaba ir a la tiendita to like buy like chips and stuff. <laughs> Not something like, you know, we could do in, in the U.S. as easily. So, but yeah, when we first moved in Chicago, we were, I was in a bilingual school and like my school was like 98% um, Mexican and Puerto Rican, something like that, something crazy. So at first the transition wasn't that hard because of that. Like I was in community, I was learning in Spanish. And so that was easier for me. So I think when I, I, I didn't realize like how that I was different really, I think until I remember like I, until I was seven, because I did this, um, this after school program or some like, you know, summer program or something. And, and there was a little girl who asked me how old I was. And I said, seven, you know, like I didn't know how to pronounce the V yet. Mm-hmm. And I remember she like was trying to teach me how to say seven instead of seven. And so that I remember that that stuck that stuck with me because I was like, I didn't realize that I, you know, had an accent or that I didn't speak like everyone else because most of my classmates up until that point 
were all Mexican or Puerto Rican. And so that was like my first time noticing like, oh, shoot, like, soy diferente. And then, yeah, so that's a little bit about my, my early um, experience and how we came to the, to the U.S. Well, I did know your immigrant story because I listened to your episode of My Immigrant Life. So I did know your immigrant story. Um, so shout out to My Immigrant Life if you want to learn more about Anshela. Thank you for sharing your experience. Something that's distinct from mine uh, most of the schools that I went to, they were predominantly um, Spanish speaking. So I, I was never part of ESL programs because they weren't offered wherever I was. So it's interesting because I never remember struggling to, with the language, but clearly I must have. And I only as an adult later on did I like run through some old report cards and I realized that uh, my second grade report card, for example, I wasn't graded in English because there's like, oh, no grade because she's learning. And I, re I don't remember struggling. So it's so funny because kids, you know, you just kind of learn like a sponge. I love that. <laughs> so there's a lot written around the relationship between first gen kids and their parents and the generational divide. And I'm wondering what your relationship was like with your parents, you know, given that you moved to, to, to the U.S. With, with your parents, obviously at a young age, at all. Still. Thank you for bringing up the generational divide. I think for my parents and I, perhaps the, the, the gap wasn't very wide because my parents both um, are college educated. They were they had the opportunity to work legally in the U.S., which is an, an opportunity and an advantage that a lot of um, folks don't have. So they were able, although, the, although their initial jobs were doing whatever they could, like my, my dad worked um, a valet driver <laughs> in the evenings, uh, graveyard shift. My mom, you know, wore, uh, worked the graveyard shift uh, for um, old people's homes. You know, they did whatever they can. They weren't they weren't doctors and accountants when they arrived to the country. But eventually they did find their footing and were able to have their degrees recognized. Um, and, and now they, they both basically are social workers. So they, they always knew about going to college. And, and sure, it was a little bit difficult to navigate, but not as difficult as it might be if, if maybe my parents hadn't had the experience of going to college or graduating high school and other advantages. So I would say that the divide was not as wide as, as, um, as some people might experience. But I think that something that's unique about my experience is that my, my brother passed away when I was 11. So I became an only child um, at age 11. And so one thing that's been challenging for me growing up is not having any peers i.e. brothers or sisters, to um, navigate things with me uh, when it comes to my relationship with my parents. So that's something that I think makes my experience a little bit different from, from most. What about you? What's the generational divide between you and your parents? Yeah, I mean, I, I share a similar experience to you um, in terms of my parents. Yeah, and, and also, you know, my my mom had to do a lot of, she still had to take a lot of classes to, you know, have a teacher's credential. And my dad started working in, in factories and, and trying to learn English. Very similar to, to you. It didn't feel as, as different, I think, because of that. But, and, and also just because we were, we were getting to know the country together, you know. And, and obviously, I think it, the, the, the divide grew as we grew older. My brother and I grew older and we assimilated much more than my parents did. My parents... Um, always stayed sort of very Mexican. You know, my, my dad's English never got that good, even though he, he, he got it, he, he got it good enough that he was actually able to, to teach eventually, but it was still not enough to really build, you know, community. And so because of that, I definitely, there were times that I felt the generational divide, but I think what helped is that I could relate to my parents a little bit more because we started from the same place. You know, so I think even though there, there was a growing generational divide, I was able to sort of understand where they were coming from a little bit more. Um, whereas I think sometimes maybe some 
first gen kids, like it's, it's harder to relate because you don't have a, a, as much of a thread that, that, como, that links you together. So I think that like that was helpful for me to sort of understand where they were coming from a bit. Yeah. And I like what you said about um, the gap kind of going, growing bigger as you get older, because I do notice that I do notice that I speak so passionately and, and easily in English. And it takes me a lot more effort to speak as passionately and as thoroughly in Spanish. So I do feel like there's just a little bit of, of me that my parents don't get to know because I can't express myself in the same way in Spanish. So that's, you know, yeah. duele un poco, pero así, así es la vida. Well, that's a really great reflection. I just wanted to add more. One, one last thing is that I did feel like there was a point at which the divide grew really wide. And then I feel like, you know, recently as like my mom, no sé, something happened that maybe, you know, just like there's more things that she learned about this country or about me or our relationship. And I feel like in a way she's become more progressive and open in, in, in how she understands and reads about things. Y, y todo eso. So that's been interesting. Yeah. Same, same. Your mom and my mom like all our, all of our posts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Don't feel like sitting in a waiting room right now? Plant Parenthood has got you covered as a leader in using new technologies to provide high-quality health care in ways that fit your life. Through Plant Parenthood's virtual appointments, you can get high-quality, affordable care your way by phone or video. Trusted providers will listen, give information, and support you in all of your health care decisions. Planned Parenthood's telehealth appointments are high-quality, affordable, and private, just like in-person visits. Whether you need help with birth control, a prescription refill, or other sexual or reproductive care services, skip the waiting room and get the care you need when you need it. Planned Parenthood takes the stress out of health care and is ready when you are. Check out PlannedParenthood.org forward slash Tamarindo to learn more and book a virtual appointment. That's PlannedParenthood.org forward slash Tamarindo. All right, we're back from our break. All right, Brenda. So when you visit Mexico, what's something you wish you could bring with you from the U.S.? So this could be a custom, an ingredient, a habit. Look, yeah. Yes. Well, what I would bring from the U.S. to Mexico, this has to do with something that I feel is very palpable when I go to Mexico. I think in, in, when I'm in Mexico, I feel like there is a, a class divide. You know, folks know probably that there's a lot of corruption in Mexico, that there's this huge, you know, there's a lot of poverty, a very small middle class and a very powerful upper class that, you know, hogs all the money. And, uh, and I feel that sometimes when you go, when I, when I go to restaurants in Mexico, I feel like there is this, um, class divide and what you, you know, folks that are in the, usually in service roles might be from the, you know, the people that have less money, perhaps less resources. And I feel like the way that service people are treated in Mexico is just very classist. For example, I don't like when, when people say joven, joven, I think it's very like degrading. I just don't like it. Whereas in the U.S., I feel like there's, although there's a lot of race, and there's also classism in the U.S. I just don't think that it's as palpable, at least in California, as it is in Mexico. And I feel that uh, the way that we, we treat service people in the U.S. is better <laughs> than in Mexico and we give more generous tips. So that's something that I would bring 
from the U.S. to Mexico is just being more kind to people in in, in service jobs and, and giving them greater tips. I feel that like I feel like the tip culture is is, is really just starting to grow more recently in, in Mexico. No? Yes. And though and we can do a whole other episode later on about unpacking tip culture because it's also rooted in racism and we we, we mm-hmm. actually ought to get rid of it altogether. But in the meantime, mm-hmm. while it still exists, while it still exists, um, it, it, I, I do think that, that we could treat people a little better in Mexico. Yeah, I feel that. All right. So for me, um, uh, and I don't know, maybe this sounds like, como que, you know, there's so many reasons that this could be true. But I, I, I wish that when doing como like administrative, like paperwork type of things in Mexico. Like I wish we could get like all of the information in order to complete a process. Oh like, man. No, yes. hundred uh, percent. <laughs> yes. Get it together. Because, Mexico. <laughs> like, because like literally it's like, honestly, and like after my dad passed, like we had to go to Mexico several times to, to handle different things. And it's like, we had to go, so many times, like, you know, wasted so much time, like dealing with our pain, you know, throughout this and our grief and still having to spend so many hours at, at the, at, in the in line, every time we went to, to, you know, to try to deal with something, they're like, Oh, it was actually like, you need to also bring this and like, Oh, you need to, Oh, but you're missing this. And Oh, actually it's closed. Oh today my goodness. Of, what a mess. And I just wish like, why couldn't we be t- told all of that information? Like the first time yeah. it's like every time, every new visit, we got an additional piece of information and it was just really, tough este so just having more just more clear instructions from the front <laughs> up front and um yeah but at the same time it like it did teach me you know patience is there something from mexico that you would bring to the u.s yeah i think for me that would be just more of collectivism and more of a community orientation i feel like in the in the u.s like individualism i feel like has always been um first and then community and like we tout community and collectivism as like like secondary and usually in times of like trauma you know but um and and obviously like mexico also has its fair share of this but i just feel like in general there there is more of like a community orientation and and how we approach things and how we give credit to the people that are part of our success. Whereas in the U S like we always want to like have one person shine. And if you think about it, any person's success, there's so many people that are behind that. And I feel like we don't honor that enough in the U S and it's, I feel like it's led to a lot of pain and, um, and I saw, and I think we saw it very clearly with, with, um, El Trumpo, President Trump. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, one thing that I, this is not as powerful as your your trait that you would bring from Mexico to the U.S. But one thing that I would bring from Mexico to the U.S. is that I do like that in Mexico at a restaurant, they, they put a little little like stand by you where you can hang your purse so that you don't have to put your purse on the floor or put it on the, uh, you know, on the back of your chair. This is just obviously this is a relic from a time that who knows we'll ever know again going to restaurants. But that's one thing that I think should we should catch on over here in uh, in the U.S. is like that little thing to put your purse in. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's so many like little things that from, from Mexico that I wish we could have it more in the U S but I mean, and that's part of why I live in LA (laughs) (laughs) because we get to, we get access to that a little bit more than, than, than people do in other places. 
And actually, um, I should share that I'm currently, I've relocated to, to Mexico for a little bit in part because I was missing certain things about, about Mexico. And I also wanted to, it's something that I've been wanting to do for a long time, just really reconnect more with my roots here with the language, the language I've shared before I find very healing, especially since my dad passed, it feels like a connection to him and the country feels like a connection to him. So I've decided to spend some more time here. I mean, like, Oh, you know what else I could, I, well, well, there's one thing I want to bring from Mexico to us, like in my personality. Yes. Tell us, tell us. <laughs> so I just love how, like, I just think Mexicans, um, embrace more of the like me vale attitude. Yes. <laughs> like, like they, like in general, I mean, and obviously that's generalization, generalization for that, but like, that's something like a treat that I've seen in a lot of Mexicans and a lot of my family that I would like to embody more of like, just like me vale and just like, just being just doing whatever you want and saying what you what you want a little bit with a little bit more freedom and it's something that i'm focusing more on and so like just more of that attitude like like me vale you know just like do what you want (laughs) interesting so you're you're observing that in mexico currently um i've just like seen it in my family just period like my family in mexico (laughs) interesting yeah i don't know if you feel some if you if you feel differently but that's been my like experience in in my in my circle of my family that lives out there and how they kind of just like live their life. <laughs> I do love me vale. I like, I do like that as a motto. <laughs> so Ana Sheila, have current events inspired any type of reflection on your Mexican heritage? The most palpable one for me is really around white supremacy. And it's something that, you know, I, I didn't, I hadn't thought about so much in terms of like how it's, manifested and seen in Mexico as much as I have in recent years, like my internalized, like colorism around, you know, like favoritism for, for more white features. So like really confronting that like has been really powerful and really like seeing how much, just how, how clearly that white supremacy is, is seen in Mexico. And just really thinking about like what I can do to help make an impact in terms of white supremacy and, and colorism in, 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 in arc in the U S but also here in, in Mexico, you know? So that's been really powerful for me. How about you, Brenda? Is any, any types of reflection, additional reflections that have come up recently? Well, for you? I think it's really interesting how uh, I've been in spaces, you know, immigrant rights spaces, of course, having the experience of being undocumented and being, as I just, as I started this podcast, reflecting on the, um, the many wins and, and change of tone when it comes to immigration from um, the Biden administration. It's also really sad to see that the, the um, you know, a lot of people in Mexico are very discriminatory and um, mean and, and, and racist and, and terrible to immigrants from Central America. So that's one reflection yes. that I have. I think that um, I've long been aware of the, of the racism in Mexico, and I think that it's showing its ugly face in many, many ways with the treatment of immigrants in Mexico entering from Central America. And I don't like the current president's, um, the Mexican president's desire, I guess, to kiss ass to Trump and, and show how he's effectively, he did build the wall. It's in, it's in, it's at the border with Mexico and, and then countries in Central America. So that, that definitely is, um, sad to see. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for calling that out, Brenda. Okay. So, you know, our, Earlier, we described ourselves as, as not quite first gen. Another way people often describe what we've shared is uh, ni de aquí ni de allá, 
What makes being Nidaki Nidaya powerful for you, Brenda? I love thinking about it as powerful. I I, I think it's beautiful and uh, of course a uh, privilege that not everybody is able to to have to be bilingual. I'm very happy that I am bilingual. I love that with what we're doing here on on Tamarindo and the platforms that we use like social media, it's when we pepper in some Spanish that really um, really gets people fired up. They really engage when with when we have posts that are bilingual, bilingual memes, and it's just because we have that window to those two worlds, right? That we can navigate both. I don't think it makes us less than, it makes us more. So I love that. I love it as a, thinking about it as powerful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I think that because, you know, this window to two worlds, right? We can sort of step back a little bit. Like I think when you only know one country, you can be so sucked into one culture and be so like nationalistic that you can't step back and be able to like objectively critique your, your country, Right. And I'm and I'm so grateful because I think that our experience allows us to be able to step back and be like, "Mm, well, I don't really like that. I don't really like that. Oh, but I do like this. and I do like this. And I feel very grateful for that. And I think it's been a transformation for me where I used to think of like, ah, and like it used to feel like a negative thing. And like, like you said, now it feels more powerful. And I think someone someone said this. Right. Um, Do you want to share this, Brenda? All right. So we want to end it on a positive note and we're going to talk to you about the 5050 podcast, which y'all should check out, which they, they, they call it 5050 because it's basically their thesis, the Nirakini, the Ya thesis. And um, Jesse, who hosts the 5050 podcast with his wife, Jessica, he says, Pues me encanta la banda, las cumbias, los chismes de mi, de mi tía, pero I also love raising Cane's chickens. Jess and I, we're border town people. Somos de aquí y de allá. So I love that. Somos de aquí y de allá. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's like, that's, it, no somos ni de aquí, somos de aquí y de allá. And I, I love that. I think that's the perfect way to, to describe it. All right. So today for our Calma moment, um, I want to walk our listeners through intention setting. So we just did an actual Zoom workshop on intention setting um, a few weeks ago, and we wanted to share a little bit of how you can do that um, with our listeners here on the pod as well. So for those of you that are not familiar with intentions, intentions are guiding principles for what you want to invite more of into your life and how you want to show up in in this world. So most of us are probably used to creating resolutions or, or, or goals for the year And the reason we want to introduce intentions is because they can often be a healthier way to think about your year, because a lot of studies show that most people do not meet their resolutions. And a lot of times they're actually more harmful than helpful. So we want to introduce a a new way to to think about your year, and that's through intentions. So I'm just going to walk you through a few things that you should know as you think about intentions and you prepare to possibly write your own. Okay, so number one, intentions are not definitive or resolute. So what I mean by that is intentions don't have a specific outcome attached to it. So um, you're not necessarily saying, I'm trying to write a book by this time, or I'm trying to um, lose 10 pounds by this month. So when you're thinking about intentions, you want to resist and let go of that attachment to trying to have a result at the end. Because when we do, um, when we have very specific, you know, timelines, a lot of times, so let's say like you, y'all want to start a podcast and you say, I want to start a podcast by March. So when we do that, we're doing a few things. Number one, we're creating a lot of pressure on ourselves to meet a goal on a timeline 
that we often came up with without a lot of research. Like a lot of times when people are writing resolutions, they just come up with some number, but they didn't actually like try to figure out like, okay, like what is going to, what is it going to take to do this? Um, and what's a feasible timeline. So we put like a, you know, create a timeline that's possibly too short for us. And we also make it a chore and, and make it less fun for us. So an exa- a really great example of this is, um, you know, the losing 10 pounds by X time. When we do that, we're really focusing like, okay, well, I'm trying to lose 10 pounds. So now what are all the things I can't do and all, the, all these restrictions I'm going to put on myself? So an intention that could take the place of that is I want to invite more health into my life or I want to focus on healthier practices. And by keeping it really open like that, you're focusing instead, you can focus instead of like, what things can you incorporate into your life that help you start to step in that direction, you know? And so if weight loss happens to happen, then maybe that's because it just did rather than, you know, cause a lot of times losing weight isn't actually the healthiest for you. And, and we all know that diets don't work and diet culture sucks. Right. <laughs> um, and the last thing that you do when you are too definitive or too resolute is that you actually limiting yourself to like something even greater than you could have imagined. So by being more open-ended. So for example, I'll, I'll share how I actually ended up becoming the co-host of Tamarindo is, is, is actually me setting an intention. I set an intention to own my voice more and step into my visibility and own the power of my voice. And I didn't exactly say how I was going to do that. That's all I said. So when I met Brenda, you know, we, we, we had a chance to work with each other in other capacities. She then later asked me if I would consider being her co-host. And before I would have totally said, no, I would have felt I wasn't ready. Like I didn't know enough. People wouldn't want to hear my voice, but because I had this intention in the back of my mind, I, I had to say, yes, I was like, literally you're being given on a platter, an opportunity to step into your voice. Exactly what you asked for. Yay, matracas for that. So that's, that's a good reason for not being, being more open-ended with your intentions. All right. Number two, really quick, you want to focus on what you want to feel and be. So for example, um, what's behind a resolution? Like I want to make, you know, this much money this year. What's behind it is maybe you want to feel more secure, abundant, um, free or, or generous with your money. So that's the intention. And you want to get at the why behind these traditional goals or resolutions, because then you identify what you truly want. And what really matters to you rather than like being influenced by what others, the society saying, or what you see others have. So if you say like, I want to make 200 K, like think about where did you get that number from? Is it because you really think that would make you happy or is it because it's what your friend makes and you feel like you should be making your, what your friend makes because you guys are in the same place in your life or something like that. Yeah. So those are the, the main two things that you, you want to be thinking about. Thank you so much, Anna Shayla. It's always so helpful. We had such an amazing opportunity to, to bring folks together. And it was just so great to see people light up and share out um, how they're reframing their goals into these intentions. And I had the opportunity to participate when you led it last year. And the the intention that I set out last year is to be out in nature. And I sure, sure lived up to it last year. I still need to work on my 2021 intention. So uh, maybe I will, I will follow these, these recommendations provided by Anna Shayla for all of you. This is what I'm going to do. So um, here's your reto to all of you listeners to join me in doing this. So here's what we could do together to um, set our intentions. So recommendation number one is to create a space for quiet reflection. Turn off your phone, turn off your Tamarindo podcast, 
try meditation, getting notebook and pencil. I have been doing this because of Anna Shayla. I do have a beautiful notebook, which she gave me, by the way, uh, Magical Thinking. I'm holding on to it right now. And I have been uh, writing, reaching for my notebook before I reach for my phone. So something you might want to try. Yes. <laughs> um, recommendation number two. Spend time reflecting on the last year. What was a valuable lesson you learned? What brought you joy? What was holding you back? So these are just some prompting questions. We'll put in our show notes um, a resource so that you could have even more prompting questions, but that's something helpful as you think about reflecting. Number three, uh, close your eyes and imagine what you want to see in the future. So that's great. Close your eyes. Maybe you can do it right now. Close your eyes if you're listening and picture what does it look like? Who is around you? What are you doing? And really sit with that vision. And that might help you think about your intentions. And then step four, write your intentions with the tips that were just shared. And um, you will have wonderful intentions for the new year. And we, we will be rooting for you <laughs> via the airwaves um, and, and uh, making sure that you thrive in 2021. Any, any final thoughts on these intention settings, Anna Sheila? Yeah, like Brenda said, the resource, we'll, we'll share that with you on our show notes. I had a chance to think a little bit about my intentions. And I think my biggest one is I just want to invite more freedom into my life. Like that's the big word for me. And that's what I feel like I've started a little bit with it. You know, I left my apartment in LA um, and just opening myself up to like, what is the right place for me right now? It's it's Mexico and some, somewhere I'd been wanting to come for a long time. Just freedom from, you know, rigidity of thoughts, like just again, embracing more of the, mas the que vale uh, mentality before I, I speak. So just being more free with my thoughts and my words and my body. That's my intention so far. My big intention for 2021. I love it. So the me, me vale energy for 2021. I love it. I support your intentions. I still need to think about mine. <laughs> Yeah. Well, great. Thank you, everyone. We hope that this was a, a nice conversation for, for all of you to um, listen to. And we want to tell you again, you could always write us a review. You can also reach out to us, contact at tamarindopodcast.com. If you have any reflections, if you also want to share your Nida Ki, Nida Ya experience and story. Uh, we haven't done this yet, but maybe maybe there'll be, there'll, there'll, there will be a space on our website to maybe publish more things. So that might be something we could step into is just hearing from more of you. I guess that really is it. I'm so, I'm very jealous of you being in Mexico. I wish I was there. I'm here in Los Angeles where uh, if I step outside of my complex, there is a sign that says, warning, you are in a high contagious area. Watch out. So uh, we're very much still in the pandemic um, and we just remind you all to wear a mask. I, I actually, one more tip that I recently learned is that the, the cloth masks are not enough uh, when you're grocery shopping. Really, you should get those, you know, the disposable high quality masks or wear two masks. We didn't say everybody, it's still happening. And uh, until yes. the next episode, I want to tell you that it's starting to rain here in Los Angeles. So ponte un suéter. Yes, y cálmate te calmo. Yay! <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.
Tamarindo Podcast is independently produced by Ana Sheila Victorino and Brenda Gonzalez. Jeff DeVoe provides original music and sound engineering, and Michelle Andrade provides editing and production support. Follow us on Instagram at Tamarindo Podcast and at Twitter at Tamarindo Cast. And if you like the show, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the episode with a friend. Get in touch with us at TamarindoPodcast.com. Are you ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no-excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our store up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro.